This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. That's always fun. We should do it. We could do it for like the new year. All right. We'll do like Old Lang Syne. Is that the name of that song? Oh, yeah. We'll just rewrite it. Let's rewrite it. I, 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 I'm I, getting the itch. Honestly, it's been, it's it's been, been a while. long enough that I'm I'm also I'm with you. I'm like, I kind of want to kind of want to do that. Um, I definitely want to. And I had I had an epiphany from for some song and I can't I can't remember what it is right now. Sorry. It no, it'll come to you. Yeah. We'll have a fever dream and. Write it all down, and then we'll make it reality. My life is a fever dream, <laughs> I really feel like it sometimes is a fever. A fever. Goddamn dream. Dream. Um, happy holidays, Rom Criminals. Yeah, happy all of, like, Kwanzaa, Hanukkah, which, by the way, was right after Thanksgiving this year. Yeah, it came really early. I feel like that is tough on, because I know you eat a lot during Thanksgiving, and then you eat a lot during Hanukkah. It's like just eating a lot. But then you eat a lot at Christmas. Yeah. I, I feel like... From Halloween until everyone's like, I'll be better on January 2nd. It's just nonstop indulgence. And that's yeah. why people love the holidays because true. it's a reason to indulge. I like to indulge. I do too. Um, oh, cheers. Cheers. We're drinking a nice Sauvignon Blanc from the Marlboro. 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 Nope. You used. No, I never mind. Your children might listen to this. Oh, someday. that's fine. I used to smoke cigarettes. Okay, I was like, Marlboro. I used to smoke. I'll tell you what. I smoked. I like Camel Lights. Mm -hmm. And then I went to American American Express. Nope. <laughs> Amex. Then she was smoking that Amex. You know, if only. I don't think yeah. they give I me one. I think in my smoking days, I was Marlboro Lights and then Parliaments. I liked Parliaments, the too. The P-Funks. Yeah, I liked those a lot. And then there was a point where, because we were in New York City, yeah. where shit was expensive. Just had to stop. You're like, well, no, I, was, I went to whatever the cheapest disgusting thing was. Yeah. So, anyways... I don't, don't smoke. smoke. Don't smoke, kids. Guess what? But if you do, I'm I'm sorry because I know you're probably struggling because it's so hard to quit. It took me nine tries, guys. Mm. Okay, so for our people at home, 
who can't see us right now because if you're a Patreon member, that's right, you're seeing us live and in color. Yeah, I've got some extra. And Bonnie's cleave. got so much color, and I apparently thought I'd be like a floating head. <laughs> no, because I'm wearing a, a dress the same color of green velvet. Listen, it's I... not it's not crushed though, like the backdrop behind us. Yeah, and we. We got, we got, um, let me just, um, for your uh, ears, let me just tell you, behind us is a crushed velvet in a forest green backdrop with a dazzling, dazzling, uh, totally dazzling, sparkle backdrop as well. Um, <laughs> I swear to God, you guys, we just did Jennifer Coolidge. We just covered singled all the way. Sing- Why do I keep saying that? Singled. It's single. Are you thinking of like singled out? That that's MTV what show? That's what I'm thinking of. We just covered single all the way, mm-hmm. so I can't get Jennifer Coolidge out of my head. And the way she talks. Yes, yes, she just, it's just always like so yes. good. Did you watch White Lotus? No, but I heard she so was wonderful. White Lotus to me was a highly problematic, I mean, it was very entertaining, but there was a lot about it that I was like, I, I don't think I fully understand why we needed this, but we needed it for Jennifer Coolidge because her performance oh. in that is, I mean, just talk about somebody who knew who knew what, what that role needed to be. I don't even know what genre White Lotus is. I thought it was like a crime. Something. It is. Or it's like a mystery thriller, vacation mystery thriller, thriller, which actually kind of ties into a little bit of what I'll talk about later. Oh, I'm excited. Um, But yeah, it's a, it's worth it for her. Okay. Because I, mean, I was definitely dissatisfied with how it all ended and stuff. But um, but her performance was, I just thought, spectacular. And I love her. I love her too. Wait, I can't do it anymore. <laughs> I, get, I get it and then I, it runs away from me. It yeah, just, you, I would say last time was, I was I was like, I'm not even going to try. That was really good. Thank you. I have been a fan of that bee for a long yep, ass time. She is, she is great. I had mentioned every Thanksgiving we watch Best in Show. Yes. And she's so good in that too. Mm-hmm. I just want to be friends with all these comedic geniuses. God damn it. I want to just hang out on the set of a Christopher Guest movie. Yeah. And I won't even talk. I just want to like watch them all. I would be like, can you put me in? Put me in. Well, I mean, then I'd be like, I want to be in the movie. I'd be like, put me in, coach. I think that the mockumentary is one of my favorite genres. It is. It's like one of the best genres, except for when they do it horror movie style. That often doesn't go as well as you think it would. Yeah. What was that first movie that was super scary? The Blair Witch Project. Yeah. That one worked. Like, that was granted, scary. I think some people actually got confused and thought it wasn't a fake documentary, which made it all the more so smart. terrifying. But that's kind of the genius of whoever marketed that film. It's but true. it was really scary. Yeah. In high school, my girlfriends and I got, I don't know how we pulled this off, but we were at a cabin in the woods, just us. And we tried to like read like in a funny as you know we're prone to doing like recreating funny stuff but it was that movie that we thought out in the actual woods oh, alone ey. that we would like try to film like a sca- another scary version oh of it God. and I'm like why why weren't we murdered I'm shocked we weren't seriously murdered. I'd just be like Jesus Christ help me oh my gosh but <laughs> I remember for some reason at the cabin there was all the all this costume stuff like great outfits and we were like taking people's that clothes like we didn't so know fun. it was a really fun weekend well let's do that again uh as everyone knows i have a, a huge hat box full of wigs yeah why and my homeboys I, do I, too. I put a giant <laughs> bow out here i should have worn a wig um you guys so we're gonna be talking we're gonna be starting this beautiful um rom-com section i'm sorry i got a new dress it's it feels weird it looks great. Feels weird. I got my yoga pants on the bottom. I know. Wearing jeans mm-hmm. underneath the stuff. But listen, we dressed up for you, our beautiful patrons. Yes, because we love you so, so much. Yeah. And, and we, we appreciate you so much. And we thought you might appreciate 
watching us just be a little baddie. You know, I I mean, this is my day to day. It's all good. <laughs> but we're going to we dress like this every day. Every actually. day. Every day. I wake up fresh face, full face, full mm. face every single day. My kids don't even know what I look like without makeup. No, <laughs> they don't. Um, we're going to cover the 1988 Yes, ma'am, sir, ma'am. It is a rom-com fantasy, which you guys know that's my favorite genre. It is. It's a good genre. And it's Scrooged. Which is Scrooged. a classic. Scrooged. Scrooged. That's how they, they call it. Scrooged. 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 <laughs> uh, with uh, the delightfully wackadoo, Bill Murray. Yep, Bill Murray's in it. And, you know, there's... so. So I like to give you my stats about it, right? 1988 American Christmas fantasy rom-com directed by Richard Donner and written by Mitch Glazer and Michael O'Donohue. O'Donohue, yes. O'Donohue. It's based on, of course, the 19, oops, 18, 1843 novella A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Yep. And I just heart you, Bonnie, really hard. Dickens. I knew, I knew it was coming, and you just <laughs> always deliver in a way that makes me so pleased. Do you know, my phone doesn't know that I use the word dick a lot, and it really annoys me. It keeps... What does it change it to? Changing it to sick. Oh, weird. It doesn't make sense in the context. It's like my phone is judging me, and I, th- it's, I honestly don't care if you judge me, iPhone, but I also You're want like, you to just... You're like, stop making people think I'm sick. I'm calling them a dick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, not to be a sick. No, not no. to be a dick. Yeah. I'm just going to start putting the eggplant emoji every time yeah. I say it. Not to be an eggplant emoji. Yeah. Um, okay, so here well, we go. I'll correct that. Scrooge is a modern retelling of A Christmas Carol uh, that follows Bill Murray as Frank Cross, a cynical and selfish television executive who is visited by a succession of ghosts mm-hmm. on Christmas Eve intent on helping him regain his Christmas spirit. Yes, which we have an um, surplus over here, so he could also just come hang out. That's with us. right. So let's see here. Let's do. Let's let's go through a couple of the reviews. Oh, that okay. I, I also I read. Yeah. Interestingly enough, so Bill Murray had not made a movie for four years when he made this because of the massive blockbuster success of Ghostbusters it was oh. like completely overwhelming, and he went off the grid. And this was the first movie he agreed to do after that. And I just thought that was like fascinating. Okay, that is fascinating. Here's another fun tidbit because my husband works in the film industry and maybe this isn't just like film industry knowledge, but when he, so Bill Murray doesn't have an agent or anything. He has a 1-800 number. number. That's probably why you said 1-9. I love that you said 900, but instead of 1-800. Yeah. But he has a 1-800 number and you just have to leave him messages. And if he likes your idea. Yeah. So any one of you. We'll put it in the notes. We won't remember to put it in the notes. But if you have a film idea for Bill Murray, you can call this number. You legitimately can. And leave a voicemail. may or may not show up for the set. Um, Yeah. So I just thought that was fun, too. So here, let's do a little bit of uh, reviews reviews from the 1988 year. And guess what? Roger Ebert, not happy with this movie. Really? Mm Mm-mm. He said, Scrooged is one of the most disquieting, unsettling films to come along in quite some time. It was obviously intended as a comedy, but there is little comic about it. And indeed, the movie's overriding emotions seem to be pain and anger. This entire production seems to be in dire need of visits from the ghosts of Christmas. Wow. Okay. We're, Hello. We're, going, we're deep. We're taking it real deep. I know. I mean, there's always in Bill Murray movies, I feel like, that kind of underlying rage, that's part of his comedy, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And then a little bit of that underlying sorrow, which is a part of all comedians. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Sad clown. 
I have a case of the sad clown. I'm really sad underneath, but I'm fine. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone take your medication. Even when you don't think you should, just keep it on. Okay. Um, Robert Harvilla from The Ringer said, I don't even know what that is, but I'm quoting the right person. Scrooge hit theaters on November 23rd, 1988 and is... Indeed, phenomenally loud and also very mean and somehow also ultimately heartening in a loopy yuletide sort of way. It is. Yeah. Like, think of the ending. I Exactly. It says, a Charles Dickens update spiked with Reagan-era boob tube cynicism. It stars Murray as the tyrannical Frank Cross, the youngest president in the history of television, who is overseeing a live, live Christmas Eve production of A Christmas Carol by terrorizing everyone in sight. Mm-hmm, oh my mm-hmm. gosh, does that suck? He declares to a conference room full of cowering underlings, furious that the show's promos are too tepid. Now I have to kill all of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay. So anyways, they talk about how like every, you know, Christmas movies clog up America's basic cable channel, blah, blah, blah. It's a wonderful life and a Christmas story, which they still clog up. Well, actually I don't have cable anymore, but. Yeah, we just stream stuff now, so yeah. I don't, maybe on Peacock they clog it up with that. I'm You're not really a mean sure. one, <laughs> Mr. Grinch. Yeah, so people, um, let's see, Murray's performance is so caustic for so long, the bitch hit me with a toaster, he observes, of a ghost of Christmas present, that his, event, his eventual redemption has to be very lengthy and extra loud to be remotely convincing. The whole thing is, what is it? The whole thing is remarkably shrill, which, alas, makes it remarkably well-suited for our fraught present moment. Uh, whatever. Okay, so Sheila Benson. Okay, in Sheila. In 1988, what do you got, Sheila? She's the LA Times writer. She said, um, "Scrooged is Dickens, a Christmas Carol transposed to modern times." I'm sorry, I'm repeating myself, but whatever. And to the cut tro- cutthroat world of network television. Actually, it's not a bad notion for a satiric comedy, and this one begins well, but then veers entirely out of hand until it's as overinflated as its own ghost of Christmas yet to come, and as funny as a mugging. Ooh, jeez. So this was a critically panned movie. Critically panned. I think that's all I got in my... For the... Yeah. Well, yeah. wow. It's interesting how certain movies in their, like, release time, how people... I don't know what the... Bo- I think the box office was huge. I think they made, like, $100 million that I read in the same article. Yeah. Because Bill Murray hadn't been in a movie for four years. People, people were and excited. People were excited. But it's interesting because if you read what people say about this movie now... They love it. They're like, this movie is one of the few movies that holds up like made in 1988 and the things that they're kind of suggesting about the world we live in are very real yeah. and prevalent today still. Huh. I agree. It, and like think about all of the live shows now they do on TV. Yeah. I mean, this is so okay. So it it's opens the movie opens and of course he is with his room of executives and they're looking at the trailers and they're kind of like the the executive or the people underneath him create like this they show him a trailer and he's like that's bullshit. He doesn't like it. He's like, let me show you what I made. And he re-edits a trailer that kind of has no sense, no, makes no sense. It's like a war crazy action movie with like <laughs> for a Christmas machine Carol. guns and a cloud of like the, it's like terrorism and a, and a plane explodes. I mean, like it's insane. Um, and as they're walking out of the boardroom after the thing, after the meeting is done, uh, little uh, played by Bobcat. What is his name? Bobcat. Gold. His name is Elliot. Loudermilk. Um, Elliot Gould? No, Elliot is the is the character's name. Oh, the name. character's name. Sorry. <laughs> Bobcat Gold something. God damn it, Vanya. Hold on. Goldweight. Uh, 
Gold Good weight. job. Bobcat, huh? What a name. He's the one. He talks like... Yeah. That's how he talks. Sorry for if I blew anyone's ears out there. But he he stands up to his boss and says, hey, listen, I think that might be a little much for America right now. Like, I yeah. don't... It's, it's, it's really... It's Christmas. It's depressing. And... And then um, Frank tells his assistant, Grace, who works her ass off for him, mm-hmm. that, you know, fire him. And he, then he watches him get booted out of the building. And um, it's not a good scene. Yeah. So and he, he's also like, no bonus for you. Right. And isn't it like Christmas Eve? That's how this works, right? In a Christmas yeah. Carol. It's the night. Twas the night before Christmas. And they're all at work late at night. He's so. making them work. He's just a Scrooge for mm-hmm. realty. OK, so what we're going to do now is we're going to I lost a page. I lost a page. Which page did you lose? Well, it's the one that comes after this. I don't think it printed. But what I would be doing right now would be saying to you, let's let's talk through some of our favorite moments because I know that um, I know that y'all have seen this movie. And if you haven't, you can watch it. Um, you have to buy it or rent it on Prime oh, or okay. Apple, I think. But I, I had bought it from years past because I do like this movie. It's a fun movie. Yeah, I like I like the way it looks. It has so many good people, like mm-hmm. so many. Um, I can tell you who is in it. We have um, Karen Allen, who had she was the one that was in Raiders of the Lost. Ark. Thank you, and she I love I love Karen She's Allen. Great. She reminds me of my mom and my my mm-hmm. aunt, who they have like the same smile. So yeah. every time I, I had seen would see her in a movie, I would think right. that's my mom or my aunt. Felt very familiar. So I right. love everything she does, um, and she plays uh, Frank Cross's ex girlfriend mm-hmm. she works as at a homeless shelter yeah um and she, she wears like a, really big coats yeah she's a good person mm-hmm. and he's just not yeah you kind of wonder like how did they ever date but oh. i guess the point is that frank cross wasn't always so cross exactly but what he became that him? way he just wanted to move up the ladder that's Success the problem went to his head yeah you gotta watch out for that i know confucius <laughs> says i'm kidding i don't know i was trying to think of a good quote you yeah. know a life well lived is like a Simple life instead Bloom of... Bloom where you're planted. That That's one. another throwback to That's single a, all the way. Oh, I love it. Yeah, well, you just enjoyed that movie. I mean, we're just... We'll stop talking about yeah, it now. Yeah, all the way. Scrooge. Um, okay, so we also have Bobcat Goldweight playing the... Elliot. Um, disgruntled... Yeah, Elliot. And then Carol Kane. Oh, my favorite part who, of the movie. Let's talk about one of my favorite parts. So he's, he's visited... First, he's visited by the first disgusting ghost, which, by the way disgusting yeah and is, it's his dead old boss it's his right? dead old boss from seven years and he's basically saying hey listen i made a mistake i was also too you know he kind of made him he was his protege right? right he like turned him into him he was like yo i'm sorry yeah he's like don't do it you will be visited by you know three ghosts and um he is his first the first ghost is past right yep and it is carol kane who plays the she looks like a little fairy oh my gosh she's you know her you know yeah. her if so if you don't think you do google her and you'll be like oh duh i love her because she's never her. not brilliant in everything she does it's true she, we watched her in the the horrible woody well, woody allen movie but she was just lovely in she's the, in princess bride oh yes you her and billy crystal right love love um Mowage. yes <laughs> She's like, uh, have fun storming the castle. Okay. And let's see who else we got. Well, we have, you know, the brother and everybody like that. But I want to talk about that moment. So she, so let's see here. Oh, the music is also done by Danny Elfman, who did like Beetlejuice and stuff like that. It has, nice. It, I this feel came like, out the same year as Beetlejuice. It, oh, yeah. It has like a definite vibe of 
you know, uh, of those movies. It's it has there like a creepiness like a, a to it. Creepy gothic undertone to like every movie that came out in 1988. I know. I wonder. I feel like we're we're reliving that sort of time where everybody's a little freaked out. You think? Yeah, <laughs> I do. I do. You heard it You're first. You're so wise. I yeah. It is true though. Like we're living in a terrifying world. Okay, wait. So we like dark caustic humor now. We do. It's true. Okay, so I I misspoke. Hold on. So, um, I thought she was the present. Yeah, you're right. She was the present. It's okay. <laughs> Here's the thing, guys. Let me tell you something. I have been crazy lately, and I'm sure everybody else has. It's the holidays. There's it a is. lot going on. Leading up to and, uh, but it's fine because, listen, my rom criminals, thank you for accepting me as I am. And we love you. And I appreciate it. So, Frank is visited by the ghost of Christmas past, appearing as the taxi driver. The cab driver. That's right. Which, by the way, earlier, which makes him a piece of shit. He like, he like steals this a old, little lady's, old lady's cab. I mean, get off it, buddy. What mm. are you doing? Just, yeah, the self-importance of Frank Cross. You're just like, dude, you're rude. Grace, his assistant, has this cute little picture, like a, his, her, her handicapped son made and he rips it off. He's like, I don't want that here. It's horrible. You know, just a dick. Right. You're Makes... meant to not like him. Nobody exactly. likes him. Yeah, right. They're... They all don't actively dislike him in this movie. It's right. It's just like um, our L.A. Times lady said, it's like you got to make the comeuppance really big. So big. Yeah. And it is. <laughs> so then he takes Frank to see his past, how he found solace in television after his mother left his father and how he had fallen in love with Claire but lost her favor when he prioritized his television career over her. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, hello. So the TV was his mother. That's which right. Which explains why he so desperately wanted to make the TV think he was great. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, why he wanted sure. to be successful yeah. in television. But so um, in the present, Frank goes to see Claire hoping to make amends. However, his attitude quickly sours and he shows his contempt for a homeless man named Herman and the shelter workers. He returns to the studio, but not before telling Claire... If you want to save someone, save yourself. She's like, my hero. Yeah, no. what a dick. Yeah, get out of here, Frank. Then the ghost of Christmas present arrives as a clumsy yet volatile fairy. Now, guys, I must tell you, I am getting this little section from Wikipedia. But you know what? Good job, Wikipedia and writer. And also donate to Wikipedia. Oh, I did. They've been begging. Well, me too, but they've been begging. Every time I log on, I'm like, oh, man. So they, they need them. Yeah. And we need Wikipedia to continue to exist. So That's true. Just That's donate true. a dollar or something. That's good. I love that. She takes him to Grace's apartment, showing his... Ass- okay, so Grace's assistant, right? Um showing her struggles to support her large family, including her youngest son, Calvin, who has remained mute, mute since witnessing his father's death. Murder. Yeah. That's why this movie, I think, felt dark for people. They're like, oh, Tiny Tim's issue is muteness because he witnessed the murder of his dad. (laughs) But we're also, we're upgrading to like more modern times. That's true. And And that would render, I think, a lot of small children traumatized in whatever absolutely. form absolutely i think so too um the ghost then shows him james who is his brother spending a humble yet festive christmas with a group of friends and his wife wendy james still defends frank as his brother despite declining his invitation so he just ignores him and also gives him a towel instead of like a vhs recorder. yeah like all of the ceos get good christmas gifts and then his lower employees and his own brother and they just get brother. some cheap towels exactly 
And oh, then I do like a good towel. If it was a good towel. Listen, okay. I know. If it's a soft towel, gimme, gimme, gimme. Give me a nice plush towel. Gimme more. The ghost leaves him in a utility space under a sidewalk with Herman. Herman, remember Herman at the homeless shelter? Yeah, the one he was really mean to. Is now frozen to death. Oh. This is not a comedy. It's, or is it? <laughs> well, that's the beauty of Carol Kane, right? Yeah. Playing this particular ghost is it's both like comedy and horror. Yeah, it's like dark, dark, dark. But like, I mean, I would go as far as be like horror. Like yeah. it's horrifying what's happening. But she's also just so freaking funny. Yeah, I agree. But yeah, like he ends up left next to a homeless man who's frozen to death. Uh-huh. And Frank desperately tries to escape, breaking through a boarded up door to end up back on the set of the production. Preston directs Bryce to take over rehearsals to give Frank some time time off Frank's, air quotes Frank's losing it he is losing it because he's seeing things like I think at like a dinner he sees an eyeball in, yeah. in like the there are ghosts martini there he's seeing ghosts for God's sake mm-hmm. so they're he, driving him around New York City in exactly. taxi cabs I mean he is losing it but he need, he deserves this we all yeah. want as we watch this we all want Frank to get his comeuppance yeah so he goes back to his office and then he finds Elliot remember the guy he fired waiting for him Eve. with a goddamn shotgun ready to kill Frank because he fired him on Christmas and his family left him. Everybody, you know, so Frank runs into the elevator where the Grim Reaper, reap where the Gren, where the boop doop bop beep bop where the Gren Reaper. Christmas in the Northwest. The Grim Reaper, I believe. Yeah, Ghost of Christmas Future awaits. Now, this ghost takes him to where we go. He takes him to Calvin. Remember little Calvin? Who mm-hmm. saw his dad die. And who doesn't speak. And at this point, he's catatonic and has been institutionalized because he hasn't gotten any help. And because his mom works all the goddamn time because so Frank makes him. him, makes her work all the time. But she needs money to support her freaking family. God damn, it's hard to be a parent, especially a single one, I imagine. And when your husband was murdered. Okay, so finally, uh, the ghost shows Frank's cremation ceremony where only James and Wendy, his brother and his They're the only ones that show up. They're up. Yep, yep, yep. And he's finally come to a revelation about his Wait, life. But don't they also show that like Grace took his advice and like quit working at the homeless oh, shelter yes. and she like married like a rich asshole and is like a terrible person now? Not not Grace, but... Um, oh, sorry, Claire. Claire, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So in the future, because of what he told her too, she also turned into a bad person. Yeah. So that is like how far his reach goes. Again, I love Karen Allen. She's okay. great. Um, yeah, exactly. And then, so like, okay, so he he's in a... Con- yeah, he's in the casket Um and he finds so so like the scene changes and he's actually in the casket about to get incinerated and he breaks out and he ends up out of the elevator facing Elliot. So he's back in real time. And Frank's completely changed at this point because he's seen all these things. And thank you, Ghost of Christmas. Yeah. Um, Christmas future. Apparently they drove it home. Yeah. And this is the moment in like the original where he's opening the windows and he's like, Merry Christmas. Yeah. And so Elliot's like, really like, what the hell? He's off. Like, he's probably now more terrified of uh, Frank Cross (laughs) than Frank Cross is of him with a shotgun. Yep, yeah. exactly. So, yeah, because he offered because Frank offers him a high level executive. Yeah, position. he's like, you're brilliant. Come back to work. Yep. And with Elliot's help, Frank returns to the production set. He secures Bryce in the control room, which is the, the Bryce was this guy who was trying to he was like, I went to school with your son. You know, the he's trying to basically take he's, Frank's he's job. He's climbing the ladder. Climbing the ladder. Um, nepotism. Social climber. Mm-hmm. But corporate. Is so, there a different word for that? 
ladder. Climbing the corporate ladder. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. And this is like all, you know, white dudes in a... Yeah. It's different than it is now. No, it's mm. not. That's why I said it was, it's still very We're prevalent. Trying. We're trying. That's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. Be the change you want to see. Um, okay. So he apologizes on air to Grace and James mm-hmm. and the cast and crew. Um, by the way, at one point he, he tells like one of the props people to like staple uh, little little uh, antlers. antlers. I'm making antler signs if you're not list- watching us. To a little mouse's head because earlier, okay, I'm just quickly, I'll go back. <laughs> earlier in the show, his boss, the owner of IBC, you know, the whatever. The TV studio. Comes down with learnings that cats and dogs. Did you know there's four million or four billion cats out there watching? Some, some crazy number. So he wanted... Um, Something for the cat viewers. Exactly. <laughs> wanted in, I forgot Frank about that aspect. Insert, yeah. I just like that. So they stapled antlers to him. I don't know if they did it, but okay. he, but the, just to show how much of a piece of shit that um it that he was. So, but now too, he's Frank. saying, now he's saying, I'm sorry, guys. I I apologize. I don't know, you know, what I was thinking. And he makes a passionate plea to Claire to come back to me and Claire she's of course she sees this mm-hmm. at the shelter they've got the TV on and she gets there as fast as she can with um you know the guy from the taxi the dead guy the ghost oh, of yeah. Christmas past and he's like hop in hop lady in. yeah and creepy I know I'd be like uh I guess I guess it's New York and some people just look like little, that's true there's all shit. kinds all it's types true. at one point I think was it Adam some guy was like eating peanut butter with like a spoon while driving while driving and i think he was also playing like a recorder or something some weird thing oh, like that interesting. yeah new york cab there's drivers. a great story about bill murray being in a the backseat of a cab where the driver was a aspiring saxophonist and he was like well gosh when do you get to practice with all this he's like i never get to practice so bill murray's like i know how to drive and the guy sat in the back of his own cab while bill murray drove oh, his taxi a- and he played the saxophone well that Urban is a good are true you never know with bill murray but it's that's true. one of the stories and i believe I like it i think it's true I want to believe it too. I think that's wonderful. Wunderbar. And I enjoy that so, so much. Mm. So where am I? So. Oh, so now okay, she's Claire in the cab with the there. creepy ghost. Yeah. And then, okay, Frank and Claire, they reunite. Calvin comes up to Frank. Calvin, the little mute boy, right? Mm-hmm. And guess what he does? He speaks for the first time, reminding him to say the words, God bless us, everyone. Much oh. to Grace's happiness she was like my son holy shit as he said his first words god bless us everyone even in despite of him seeing his dad murdered in front of his very own eyes and then frank leads the crew in singing put a little love in your heart which is such a fun world. i like that they're like totally swapping out the christmas vibes i love this okay here's so my daughter she went to this montessori school and they had and this makes me sad that we you know they don't have big pad you know things during the holidays or at, at all because of course as you guys know i love yeah. theater i love anything i cried the entire thing my little she was four i think she's Aww. the size she was the age of my son right and they did this thing with with the they all sing it put a little love oh your fellow man helping hand put a little love in your heart and guess what i feel that and that's the movie guys i mean Scrooged. Is there any other moments that you remember that you really like stuck out for you? Well, I had forgotten when you said it. I have a real hard time with like animal cruelty. Oh, hell so no. So when you mentioned the thing where he had said, let's just staple them. I, I just remember being like, can I watch this? I know. Can I watch this? 
Uh, I did watch it. Yeah. But, um, I think I feel like you covered all of the okay, good. the best moments. Yeah. I think that the scene where he like his redemption scene to me is one of those amazing moments that it is so over the top and it is such a 180 from where we started that only Bill Murray could somehow convince us after being like the worst human being the worst. on the planet that, you know, seeing only two people at his cremation ceremony would upset him that much <laughs> or that he could have turned Grace into a, I mean, pr- it almost feels like he'd be proud of those things from what yeah. he's presented. So I just, I love that moment where he's like, I'm on TV and I'm having my, like, um, who's the guy from It's a Wonderful Life? The main guy. Oh, Jimmy Stewart. Jimmy Stewart and his I'm character's sure his character name. It's like Frank something maybe. I don't know. Sure. But, uh, ooh. <gasps> is it? Maybe. I'm wrong. His name's like, Oliver I don't know but uh but it's like that moment where they're like giving that speech right to the camera and in this case he really does get to give it to the camera because he's delivering it on live television um no I think you did a brilliant job of covering Uh, well thank you I was a little bit like I tried to to, um do this research and my kids kept sitting next to me I actually took a video of it I'm like in my bed trying to watch tv trying to make notes and the kids were next to me with like loud things talking mommy mommy oh so i'm glad thank you um i hope you guys enjoyed that i mean you could have just let them watch with you and terrified them i know i'm just kidding well, Don't I did, here's the thing kids. i did have it on right but they were one of them had like some weird book that talks to you in spanish and then the other one was playing a video game on the ipad with the volume on it is, it is what it is. I'm telling you, I think it's sometimes better to be like immersed in the chaos than to encourage them to like plug their ears up with earphones and disappear into whatever's happening. I but agree. I'm sure it's maddening. No, no, I, I totally agree with you. Like this is why I have the problem where I want to get, so we got a car because we, we ha- we've had an old car for like 10 years and we finally bought a car, mm-hmm. but our old car had a DVD player like, so we had like old school. Yeah, it was actually awesome i'm going well we still have that car because whatever can you like remove it and put it in your new car? i don't know but i was thinking i should because we have one ipad for them to share but if i got both and then they had headphones then i'd probably have a nicer time but to your point i think that they need to be immersed in the in the chaos like i don't yeah and also like forced to engage with you at all times against their will or with their permission i agree like you will engage with me children yeah. i'm a smother and i don't you're care. not a smother but you know what i mean like i feel like so often you just see not just kids just people in general like completely yeah. cut off from outside like what's the word not communication but just like the exchange world. Yeah. like that to interact interaction i think is the word i was thinking of it's because we're all yeah. we've insulated ourselves everything's like right here and right here and i remember working you know as a server and like two people would come in and just like not look at each and other and be on their phones be on their dinner. phones sometimes i have to check myself to be to be totally honest oh, i have true. a we've tendency had conversations to with my, my husband and i yes me, my husband and i have them regularly and it's really and he's not wrong it's he doesn't have that problem i have the problem yeah, like I, know. I just i go down rabbit holes like you said it's hard and once i'm going down it I, I need help getting out. I get it. Yeah. So all we're all trying to put a little love in our hearts. Well, okay. So for the true crime portion of this episode, <laughs> I uh, this was a funny one to try to find because the movie is, as you mentioned, a uh, rom-com fantasy genre. Also add in the holidays. Also just add in like the general bonkersness of all Bill Murray's movies. Yeah. I was like, okay, I definitely know avenues I can go down. I could find a story about somebody who killed their horrible boss. I'm sure it's out there. I found some. Um, However, the one that I found that took place at an office Christmas party, which felt like that would be like the most appropriate, 
it didn't quite fit. It was also something that was resolved relatively quickly, but it was a guy who entered his office with a shotgun after being fired. So literally the same exact story, except for his boss wasn't actually a bad guy. He just, he was a dude that was having a lot of problems, so he hadn't been doing a very good job at his job, and his termination was justified. Uh, So I just felt like, Mm, that feels sad. It, it, it does, doesn't it? And then um, <laughs> what else was I looking into with this one? So there was that. Um, obviously, I just was like, are there any murders that like resemble the plot? Like where somebody gets murdered whilst discovering their Christmas spirit? No, <laughs> they don't. And so one thing that I feel like is really prevalent in this story is the TV of it all, right? Like that yeah. I am a bigwig in television. That is my identity. That is like what I want, I aspire for. So I was like, okay, yeah. TV executive murder. And I guess maybe not surprisingly because it is a, you know, a highly competitive slash highly yeah. financially rewarding slash um I don't know if some people say showbiz is cutthroat, uh, but there's a, several examples. I found a story of a, a television executive that was like murdered by like a, a gang member, but oh. even though he wasn't like involved. But I settled on a story that I think that you guys will remember, but probably haven't thought about in a while, which is the story of the producer of the television reality show Pimp My Ride and Survivor okay being convicted of murdering his wife while they were on vacation in Mexico what so that's the story i decided to go with a crime where the the central figure held the same a similar type of position obviously reality tv i felt like it tied in because uh you know he was doing a live stage production on television it's basically reality I tv i buy that yes okay yes. So this is this, um, the sad, sad story of Bruce Beresford Redman and his wife, Monica. So they were two very different types of people. He was a kind of a quiet, well-read, smart guy from New Jersey. She was an extroverted, passionate, um, like just big liver of liver, lover of life. <laughs> she lived big also is what I meant. That's why I said big liver. Um, Monica was from uh, born in Rio de Janeiro. Oh. Eventually, these two separately made their way to Los Angeles, where um, Bruce kind of worked his way up in the television circuit to when he ultimately became like an executive producer of Survivor and then helped create and was executive producer of Pimp My Ride. Don't know if you ever watched that. I definitely did. Reality TV is not my thing. So yeah. I think I've seen like clips from stuff that other people make me watch, but it's I like a scripted drama. Um, and she and her sisters opened a really popular restaurant in West LA that was oh. like a Brazilian restaurant slash uh, nightclub because she was really proud of like her Brazilian culture. She was huge into like soccer and they would do like bossa nova and salsa and like oh, all fun. these wonderful, fun like uh, theme nights. And their, um, their restaurant, which I wrote down, sorry, it's called like Zeb- um, Zambumba was the name of the mm. restaurant, which is now closed. It closed in 2012. Um, but it was like one of the hotspots in the late 90s in West Los Angeles. Okay. And at this restaurant is where these two meet. 
It was a place that Hollywood people hung out at. He went in, he came back constantly saying he just couldn't get enough of this Brazilian cuisine. But the truth was he just couldn't get enough of the beautiful Brazilian that ran the joint. And um, he asked her out in 1997 and they were together from that day forward. They got married in 1999. At this point, um, not only was she like running a very successful restaurant, but he was now doing very well in television. And the two purchased a huge, gorgeous $2 million home. Literally, in, that um, was my like next thought. I was like, yeah. I wonder where they lived. They I wonder in what Palo, kind of- Palos Verdes. Yeah. That's- where I guess like Chuck Norris lives. Oh, Which is funny. like a random person. But he was a celebrity that also lived there that I listened to on another podcast talk about this. That's where um, Tiger Woods had his accident. Oh. Just so you know. There you go. I think there were golf courses. Yep, there are. Um, and, and lots of horse stables. Yeah. And Rich. they they uh, they filled their beautiful home, not only with beautiful things, but with two beautiful children. They had a daughter named Camilla and a son named Alec. And um, as their successful stars kept rising, they were both so busy that it started to cause like kind of cracks in their relationship because he worked all day um, as a television producer and she worked all night as a yeah. restaurant owner. So they literally never saw so each other. So they became other. like, you know, people that just ships in the night, passing each other. <sighs> um, the nanny who worked for them reported saying that like she she didn't see anything resembling a, like affection between them ever. But again, she almost never saw them together, which was part of the problem. So as that kind of created some strains in their uh, marriage, both of them over varying courses strayed and had affairs. Um, but... In 2010, and it might have started before 2010, but in 2010, an affair that Bruce was having with his longtime um, casting director and executive assistant, a woman named Joy Pierce, he had started an affair that had gotten like really, like truly um, emotional, not just sexual. And um, it was one of those things where um, her sister was at a party and Monica wasn't there, but she saw her brother-in-law and her brother-in-law's assistant, Joy, who she knew. And she was like, even in front of me, they couldn't, like, hide it. Like, they couldn't keep their hands off of each other. Stuff like that. So, obviously, uh, Monica was, like, aware of the affair. But uh, Bruce was not aware that she was aware of the affair, if that makes sense. So then um, he confides in his mother. He feels bad, but he also is, he's torn. Like, he doesn't want to lose his family, but he is not willing to walk away from this woman he loves. And his mom's like, well, you have to pick, and I suggest you pick your wife and your children. I suggest you tell your wife about it, even if you guys need to, like, live in separate quarters in your giant house. <laughs> um, while you figure everything out, you need to do everything you can to save your marriage. Um, so he confesses to Monica, who's like, uh, duh, because she had actually found a memory stick full of all of these like emails and text exchanges between the two of them. And she was like, I, I don't want to do this anymore. So on top of his affair, he also, you didn't know this, but somehow tied it in. It's weird how things tie in. He also had a problem with um, 1-900 numbers and sex, <gasps> phone sex. No way. And had racked up like a thousands and thousands of dollar bill talking to um the ladies online for the phone sex. So I think she was just like, I, I'm i not happy. We yeah. haven't been happy for a while. Listen, no one should stay married if they're not happy. Of course not. You know? So what she does is um, she's mad. She takes the kids and flies to Hawaii and drains their bank accounts oh. and calls them and says, if you do not grant me a divorce, I will 
never let you see the kids again. And I'm just going to keep the money, which is all of their money that I took. Or you can grant me a divorce and we can go through that process and do it all. Like, but I'm out. I don't want to do this anymore. Yikes. So then um, after being gone for weeks, you know, he hasn't seen his children. Um, He's like, again, he's still talking to his mistress, but he's also like, my life is crumbling apart without my family. And I just, I don't want to lose them. And so I think he ultimately decides when Monica comes back from Hawaii, he's going to tell her that he wants to do everything in his power to fix their marriage. He will never see joy again. From this point on, everything is going to be different. Hmm. Now, while that sounds like the right choice, it also sounds like direct opposition to what your wife is asking you for, which is a divorce. Like, yeah, she's straight up saying, like, I don't want to be married to you. That doesn't make sense because it, I feel like it would make him happy if he had his lover. Yeah, and still got to have, see his kids yeah. and didn't lose all his money. But I guess he really, I mean, he loved his wife. He did. They, they had, like, yeah. a wonderful love affair in the beginning. And, you know, life happened and they didn't see each other much. And then they did bad things to each other, like have affairs. But he got, like, emotionally involved. And that's when she left. But anyway, she returns from this Hawaii trip. And he, like, through crying and like begging swears that he's going to change and that um can she please 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 give him another chance and she for the sake of her children says okay we can try and so the idea that he has her 42nd birthday is coming up in april and he's like let's go on a family vacation you pick so she picks the moon palace resort in um cancun mexico which is like this huge like five-star resort with like three spas Ooh, and all fun. this yeah, yeah. right so on uh april 4th of 2010 the family flies from los angeles are you okay you stuck i got my sequins got stuck oh, it happens. sorry it happens. i was dancing and i got stuck <laughs> <laughs> so then uh april 4th 2010 the family flies to cancun where this place is like a dream you know it's an all-inclusive resort you never have to do anything that's not on the property they they take the kids on like this crazy like river cruise thing um and there's just like swimming and playing and you know it's spring break so there's lots of people there and um the original plan is going to be so on that monday the 5th when this place is packety packed 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 full of people um as a birthday gift for her birthday that's coming up in a few days she's going to get to take the day to go shopping go to the spa and just like get away. Great. Which I know is something you really yeah. love. Um, and so on that day, um, that's the plan. And another thing that happened on that Monday is at 5 a.m. And this is according to, I got um, the very information. Early. Yeah, it's very early. I got this information from articles in Hollywood, um, Hollywood Wire? No, Hollywood. Yeah. Is that what it's called? Something Wire. And Variety. Oh, Hollywood Reporter? Hollywood Reporter. Yeah. Um, okay. So let me find it. Sorry, y'all. I got I was I was like telling it without looking at my notes, and so now I've gotta find my notes. Find them. All right, so around five AM, according to Bruce, he and his son Alec woke up and began playing games in the hotel room because the kids wake and he's like, so we were playing games and they were playing a game that they called Mater, which is them taking turns driving backwards around the room and crashing into furniture as if they were the tow truck character from Disney's cars. I'm assuming you know what that means. Yeah, Mater is like the one that he's like, he talks like this. And, and he, he like he, bashes he, into stuff and yeah, he's, he's a tow truck. Okay, so he says when asked about a complaint that was called in by people in another room about the noise 
that the noise was coming because he and his son were playing this game called Mater, where they were pretending to basically be like tow trucks bashing into things. And then they were also playing another game they loved called Japanese Man, which was really just roughhousing with a twist. So when you play this game, everything's opposite. Like a hug is agony, but a punch to the face feels great. And so that he says that is why there was a lot of early morning laughter and screeching. Um, But there was a British couple staying on the same floor that not only called down to the lobby at 5 a.m. to complain about the noises that they said were scary coming from this hotel room. Um, They also wrote down a note that they hand delivered saying that it sounded, let me find it, um, saying that they'd heard a woman screaming. They complained of screams, crying for help, and extremely loud banging, adding, it sounded like a woman in distress. We are very alarmed and scared. This is what the note said. So that's in writing, plus they did call and file a complaint. When the hotel calls the room, he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. We'll keep it down. My wife and I were arguing, but we'll keep it down. So Monday, according to not just um, Bruce, but their daughter, Camilla, her mom, Monica, put on a blue sundress and um, some makeup, some uh, sandals, and she told them she loved them before she headed off to do her day of shopping and spa and said, ciao, and they all said, ciao. Okay, so the day while she was having her, like, spa day, um, Bruce and his kids spent the day lounging around. Um, they spent the afternoon at the pool. It was the first time Camilla ever opened her eyes underwater. She was super excited to tell her mom all about it. They got back to the room where they watched movies and took naps. Um, they had dinner together and then he put the kids to bed. All the while, his wife is supposedly out enjoying her birthday. Um, but it's now 10 p.m. and she hasn't come home. And according to Bruce, he didn't expect her home before then. She was kind of a night owl. She was very very um gregarious so it wouldn't Mm -hmm. be unlikely that she would meet like fellow people in the resort and be having drinks somewhere on her day where she gets to do her own thing um but after uh you know it's like past midnight he says he starts to worry continues to like kind of leave the room and come back and like see if he can like i don't know he leaves the room somewhere around 15 times that night um but by Tuesday morning, when she still hasn't returned, he finally calls down to the concierge and he's like, I think my wife is missing. What do I do? So then they tell him to, you know, got to call the police. So then police arrive and immediately notice that he's got scratches on his uh, scratches will get you every time um, scratches on his neck. Which he explains is when they went on that river cruise thing that they had done with the kids on their first day there that he had scratched himself like on a rock and a rope like on this river cruise and like trying to get the kids out and his daughter corroborated that saying we put um band-aids on daddy's boo-boos on our first day here so there's like a lot there's a lot of people that there's two very different beliefs in what in what happened here let's just say that as we're going along so police are now um investigating her disappearance they're asking questions um uh bruce is like Mm-mm. over the next several days shuttled back and forth between the police station the american consulate and the hotel giving statements, talking to the attorney general's office. By now, the kids have been flown back to L.A. to stay with family so that they don't have to just stay here while their dad's being questioned and their mom hasn't been found. So the kids are um, flown back to L.A. They fly back with uh, their mom's sister. She comes and gets them. Um, And then two days after she disappeared on what would have been her 42nd birthday, So she was reported missing on 
that Tuesday, the 6th, on the 8th, which was her birthday, her um, body was found in a sewer cistern only 75 feet from their hotel room. And the cause of death was strangulation, but it also looked like there had been blunt force trauma, stuff like that. So in the late afternoon of April 8th, the day that she was found, um, Bruce returned to his hotel room and found it full of police officers, so not knowing that they had found his wife. Um, uh, and according to Bruce, a trio of the police officers cornered him and pressed him for money. They told him that they believed he'd killed his wife, but if they paid him, they could make the problem go away. And then a female investigator led him outside um, away from all of the other people and told him that they had found his wife. Uh, where he said, and this is quote, there was a wall and I just sat down and held my head for a long time. I had been afraid that something had happened, but I wouldn't allow myself to go there. But questions about his uh, actions in the first hours after Monica's disappearance mounted. Like when she left on this spa day, she left her cell phone and her passport in the hotel room. Why would she do that? Never. Her sisters were like, she would never, one, she would need a way to be in contact to make sure like everything's going okay with the kids. Also, they were kind of like, this was a trip to fix a marriage that was crumbling and she had gone so far as to take the children away from him. So the idea that she would leave him with the kids all day with no way to get Hell in touch to no, no. is something she would never do is something mm-hmm. her sisters steadfastly maintained. Um, Bruce, on the other hand, said that she was particularly forgetful and careless with phones and that her phone was actually kind of broken and wasn't really working. That's why she left it. Mm-mm. Um. So why hadn't he alerted the authorities earlier? They asked him, and he said, well, my wife's a night owl. Like I mentioned, he just assumed she was out, she'd made friends, and he didn't expect her home before 10. Mm-hmm. So as the kids are taken back to L.A., Bruce is, um, has to stay in Cancun um, for another week or so. Um, they take his passport, as he is the prime suspect in the murder of his wife. Um, so he hitchhikes to uh, a border crossing area and uses his driver's license his united states driver's license to cross into texas he walks across into um nuevo laredo and um gets on a train and takes the train from there back to los angeles also another curious not curious another suspicious thing that happens is when the sister her sister Jeannie, flies down to identify her body at the morgue um bruce had already had her cremated (gasps) which was not something that they thought that she would have wanted one and also like why the rush why the rush um okay so that he then has now left mexico crossed the border on foot and taken a train back to la where he is now back with his his children um and the mexican um government is like "Uh uh-uh they respond very quickly They draft a request for extradition, claiming that Bruce had broken the law by leaving Mexico and should be considered a fugitive. However, the Mexican government does concede that they asked him to stay, but that they had no he had no legal obligation to stay. They asked him not to leave. They didn't say if he left, he would be a fugitive. He was not under arrest. He was just a prime suspect. Mm. So they never also put a like a you can't leave town request in writing. So that didn't hold legal weight, if you will. So back at home, Bruce is with his kids in Rancho Palos Verdes. And as you can imagine, the TMZs and the, well, all the news people, but the the media is 
hounding him. Mm. One, he's like a minor-ish, maybe even more than a minor celebrity. He works in television. His wife is a very like well-known restaurateur. Um, so the media is like outside their house. They're constantly like up in his face. And so the man that liked to be behind the camera was now in the spotlight and he didn't like that at all. So seven months after he returned from Mexico to Los Angeles, um, Bruce was arrested and sent to a federal detention center in Los Angeles while Mexico's extradition request wound its way through the courts. So he's arrested and has to stay in jail in Los Angeles while it's decided whether or not he will be extradited back to Mexico to face trial there. Um, And Mexican officials presented a compelling case to the American magistrate. There was evidence of blood in and around the hotel room. They said several eyewitnesses had come forward and claimed to have seen the couple fighting and arguing around the hotel in the days before Monica's disappearance. There were footprints around the sewage cistern where her body had been found that seemed to match, like, size of Bruce's footprint. Um, And hotel records indicated a disturbing pattern of repeated entries and exits, 15 in total, on Bruce's key card throughout the night of April 5th, that Monday, where she never came home. So, um, the ball is now in Bruce's court. The burden of proof for extradition to Mexico is really low. All that is required is basic probable cause, um, and the Mexican government has clearly provided that. They have probable cause Mm -hmm. to have him extradited. And after 14 months sitting in jail, mind you, in L.A., um, the U.S. magistrate ruled in favor of extradition, and um, Bruce was taken by um, the marshals. That's what it is, right? With that, like, do the fugitives and stuff. Oh, um, yeah. When you cross borders. Yep, he's taken yeah. by the federal marshals down to Mexico on February 9th of 2012. So his trial is going to begin a week after he returns on February 16th. So here is where this is. There's two firm camps. He definitely killed his wife. He definitely didn't kill his wife slash did not get a fair trial. And so now I'm going to walk you through his trial. Um, Prosecutors claimed that uh, that Bruce killed his wife early in the morning of April 5th, 2010, inside the couple's room at Moon Palace. So basically they're suggesting that while he, Monica, and their two children were in the hotel room, he killed her and somehow hid that from his kids and her body until they went to sleep that night. And the reason he left so much is he was like taking things in and out of the room. That's what they're alleging. I don't know. I don't have kids. I don't know how easy that would be to pull off, but I feel like interesting and not necessarily like solid, rock solid evidence, but also you have scratches on your body and you had her cremated, which that's not what she would have wanted. But like, did they have two rooms? No, they had one room. Huh. Um, I mean, it was a big room. It was a resort, but they weren't saying they didn't have like multiple because the kids were like five and three. Um, So they laid out their case, which is that Bruce Beresford Redman hit his wife in the head with a blunt object, knocking her out, then proceeded to strangle her to death. And according to their account, after killing her, Bruce hid or otherwise kept the body out of view inside the room until late that night when with his two children asleep, he found a way to transport her body out of the room, down two flights of stairs and across several patios and public areas to the cistern. They suggested he might even have thrown her body over the side of his second floor balcony, collected it at the bottom and then transported it to the cistern. There, he allegedly lifted the um, lifted off the cover a cement block weighing more than 250 pounds, according to testimony of the hotel employee who discovered her, and dumped her body inside before partially covering it up again and returning to his hotel room. Everything, including the murder itself, took place while Bruce was taking care of his two children. Furthermore, 
said prosecutors. Sometime during the day or perhaps that night while the children slept, he managed to clean up the blood, tissue, and soiled clothing the murder had created. Then he waited until the next morning and called the hotel claiming his wife had gone missing. So from the beginning, the prosecution, so the 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 people, if you will, of Mexico versus Bruce, um, doesn't seem to line up with the physical evidence. So first, the coroner who examined the body came to the conclusion that Monica hadn't been killed that morning, but roughly 18 hours later, sometime after 11 o'clock that night after she had gone out. And as I mentioned, her daughter said her mom was wearing a blue sundress and sandals right. and said goodbye to her that morning. Um, the coroner um, also determined that she hadn't been killed in the room like they had suggested she had been and then moved to the cistern. Her body showed no signs of lividity, bluish marks caused by long exposure to a hard surface, such as what would have been there if she had been like hidden under the bed while he had waited to move her. Okay. Um, uh, so this indicated to the coroner that Monica had been killed at or very near the spot where her body had been found. Um, and that didn't mean that Bruce didn't do it, but that that's where she had been killed. And there was always the possibility that he had been involved in his wife's murder without being physically linked to it. Remember, there were lots of affairs and messy stuff with money and potential bad divorce, upcoming divorce proceedings and custody. Um, but this was not any of the things that the prosecution was using as their argument, mm. just that they had found evidence against him. So now the coroner's report contradicted the prosecution's case in two key ways, uh, which Bruce's lawyers were like, we're going to get you out of this, bud. Like, none of this makes any sense. And if the prosecutors had mistaken something as um, important at the time as the time and place of death, like, if they had gotten that wrong, like, where and when she died. So they're saying she died in the hotel room in the wee hours of the morning of Monday the 5th. And then the coroner's like, she died sometime after 11 p.m. near where her body was found. It's a big discrepancy, right? Yeah. Um, they feel very confident that, like, the whole case is, is they've gotten everything wrong thus far. So as the trial progresses, more errors emerge. The police, it turned out, never did a rape kit on Monica. Um, if nothing else, like, why wouldn't you at least do that to rule out the possibility of someone else involved? Um, so they never looked at anybody but him. The state also alleged that the scratches found on his neck were deep and serious enough to indicate a fight, but they had no biological material. There was no DNA. There was no physical evidence within those scratches. Like she didn't have, to, anything, like, like she didn't have anything under her nails. Mm. Um, and then another thing that was very damning to the prosecution was, so right after the kids got back to the U.S., they were immediately taken to see a therapist because obviously, like, trauma. And in her deposition that she gave, this very experienced therapist testified that based on years of close observation, she believed that neither child had witnessed any type of physical violence between their parents in Mexico or at any other time. Mm. Which, by the way, I just say, like, phew. Like, if he did kill her, I'm very grateful that the like, children never witnessed maybe any he violence. Drugs him. I mean... And I mean, at this point, like, we clearly don't actually know what happened, right? Because this botched investigation. So the prosecution's case then took another blow. Yep, let's just, let's just have a wipe. Let's just sip. When the alleged blood samples that they had found in their hotel room on the railing outside that had formed part of the basis of, like, he tossed her over. Um... They, on uh, closer actual forensic inspection, turned out not to belong to Bruce or Monica. It's blood from a, another guest at another time that had been revealed when Wonderful. they sprayed the room with luminol. 
Um, People. I mean, so one droplet of blood belonging to a man was discovered, but it but it wasn't Bruce's. So there was like a so again, hotels are never that clean, and they found blood, but it turns out it wasn't either of theirs. So and by the time they found that blood, though, the room had already been cleaned twice by hotel authorities. And he had had the room cleaned the day after she disappeared as well. So technically it had been cleaned three times. So I think they're trying to say as an argument, like, of course we didn't actually find anything because the room had been cleaned, but they found other people's blood. Um, yeah. The prosecution's own expert witness found that the sand, so they, this is who the prosecutors bring in, right? They found that the sand around the cistern, so where she was found in the sewage cistern, there was sand around it. And the sand that they had found in his shoes didn't match wasn't the same type of sand. So again, another large... Oh, and they also find out that the size of the footprints didn't actually match his shoe size either. Either So that was incorrect. Um, and not long after trial began, the prosecution admitted that a large portion of its evidence had been inexplicably lost or damaged by mold and water. So then, witness testimony, right? So part of what made probable cause seem very likely was people heard disturbing sounds of what sounded like a woman in distress he had scratch marks on him people claimed to see them arguing at the hotel multiple times and they their marriage was in turmoil they were trying to repair things but it's not Mm. it's not unlikely that they might have fought um but then these witnesses their testimony started to show cracks so the hotel employees who initially had said they'd seen them fighting outside of a restaurant called Los Tacos, they began recanting their story, saying like, oh, that's not the guy we saw her fighting with. (gasps) Then the British couple who had written the note and made the phone call um, to complain on that morning, they never gave an official statement to police or state investigators, and they were never subpoenaed or otherwise became an official part of the investigation. So like that is all just now considered hearsay because they never were formally interviewed. Police never spoke to them. Um, and for his part, Bruce says that the concierge did, misunderstood what he said when he had described a, uh, when he said he was arguing with his wife. He's like, that's not what I said. I, I, he said that they misunderstood what he said when he was playing games with his kids. Um, so that evidence kind of gets tossed as like hearsay. And here's the thing that for me, listen, I, I think it's entirely possible that he is responsible for what happened. But I also feel like when you hear this kind of bunking of of policing and then prosecuting you're kind of like well this is at the very least not a fair trial like you don't you don't have what is required to actually take him to trial yet doesn't mean he's innocent I'm definitely not saying that but here is the thing that for me is the biggest reason why I think they needed to reopen this investigation and do further investigating before they then pursued either him or an alternative suspect so a sprawling well-manicured complex, the Moon Palace Golf and Spa Resort, is bigger than many small Mexican towns. Visitors who pass through the gated entrance traverse a mile or more of dense foliage to a main reception area. From there, a network of small paths designed for pedestrians, hotel shuttles, and golf carts lead to three separate lobbies. Every guest must wear a brown security wristband at all times, and many thousands of people come and go from Moon Palace each year with nothing but pleasant, if perhaps somewhat hazy memories of their Mexican sojourn. Um, But in the years surrounding Monica's murder, a surprising and disturbing pattern of violence also emerged at this particular resort that I think casts a potential different out like responsible party. Potential. Again, I refuse to comment either way. I understand why there are people who firmly believe 
both of the sides here. So in 2007, the family of a Canadian guest said he had been beaten within inches of his life by security guards and other employees of Moon Palace. Uh, the hotel claimed the man who ultimately died wasn't beaten, but had fallen out of his second story window in his hotel room. In June of 2009, a Scottish woman named Julia Howard, a 77-year-old guest vacationing with her family, went missing on her fifth visit to Moon Palace. The state's attorney general first asserted that she'd gotten lost, a claim the family disputed at the time, and then went on to blame the family, of accusing them of neglecting their elderly family member. Um, eventually, Julia Howard was found dead in a mangrove swamp three miles south of the resort. She never left the complex, her daughter told the BBC, and to say that the 77-year-old woman walked three miles in the wrong direction away from where we were staying is insane. Then, on April 30th, just two and a half weeks after Monica had been found, a young American woman vacationing at Moon Palace for her brother's wedding um, was allegedly the victim of an attempted rape in her hotel room by a hotel employee who was then later fired. However, the sexual assault charge or allegation was never investigated. And then a month after that in May, two hotel employees inexplicably entered a children's room sometime between 11 and midnight, prompting the child to like wake up, see people they didn't know in the room screaming and started screaming. And then there was an investigation into why did you guys enter this room um, that went nowhere um, even though the parents were like, um, what the fuck? So even collectively, as I will acknowledge, these episodes, while very upsetting and disturbing, do not exonerate Bruce from being responsible for the murder of his wife. But it certainly suggests that there was the possibility that it could have been someone else, something that they never, ever looked into. They had like zeroed in on him and that was it. And so you'd think, you know, that this pattern of violence at Moon Palace that was entered as evidence at the extradition proceedings, uh, but was never investigated as a plausible alternative theory. I don't know. It just feels like what what people say who support Bruce is that Americans are a big driver of tourism in Mexico and it, Mexico needs to be able to provide the optics of being able to provide safe travel. And so they would have gone out of their way to make sure this kind of thing right. wasn't talked about because they don't want people to feel unsafe visiting the, this resort. Um, and since they figured they did have the right guy, it is almost always the husband, you know, statistically speaking, um, they were just like, we're not going to bother looking anywhere else. Um, so after, you know, a year in jail in Los Angeles, I think it was like three years in jail. No, it was like a year in a Mexican prison in Cancun on trial. The 43-year-old is found guilty. What? In Mexico. Oh, I'm surprised. Of killing his wife and sentenced to 12 years in a Mexican prison in Cancun. Um, however, in June of 2019, just seven and a half years after he was sentenced to jail, he was released early for good behavior because according to his uh, former attorney in Mexico, what did I wrote it down? But in Mexico, basically, like, if you serve 60%, I guess it doesn't matter, like, what you were found guilty of. If you serve 60% of your sentence, you're eligible to be released. And so because of good behavior and he paid, like, a $2,000 fine and because they added the time he'd spent in prison in America as well to his sentence, like, he served 60% of his sentence. So he returned to um, Gardena, California, in 2019, where he still maintains his innocence and um, 
will not publicly comment on any of this anymore. And um, that's Those, my the story. poor kids. You know? And the the real the real tragedy here is that the that the two kids lost their mom and then pretty much lost their dad uh, for most of their childhood. And I'm definitely like, I there's so much to me that's like, yeah, that's sketch. You did this, and then mm-hmm. there's so much that I'm like. Well, geez, I mean, if they didn't even look into the possibility of all these other, th- I don't know, I couldn't pick. I was squarely on the side that he definitely did it. I was in the beginning, and now I'm like, and now you're like, I don't, I don't know. know, I don't know, and so that's why I just thought this was so baffling. Um, but I selected it because I guess you know, Frank TVX. had the same kind of job. Exactly. Yeah. And if this guy is a monster, then maybe that's a connection. But since we couldn't answer that today. Oof. That the only is connection crazy. is TV executive. No, that's good. I think it's really, really good. That's a fascinating story, and it makes me scared to go to a hotel anywhere. Well, I mean, I'm also lock just all like all the doors. It's not wild though. Like what? What? Yeah. I mean, happening all the time, and then that close to what happened to her. Like it was an alleged, like an attempted rape. I mean, like I don't know. I just feel like there's yeah. stuff that should have been looked into that wasn't. I am not saying he did not do it. I know right. that her he family even hired somebody. Yeah, her family's. 100% convinced that he is responsible based on his behavior after mm. um, she went missing. Also knowing what they knew about what was going on with them and the privately. And she left her phone and her And passport. the fact that, yeah, like, she went out in Mexico that. without her passport or a cell phone. So there was a lot of, there's a lot of circumstantial evidence to support his guilt. But then there's also a lot of uh, evidence, or I guess not circumstantial, but like the fact that there's no physical evidence means that maybe you have to check out these other things too. Right, yeah. Um, so, mm. I mean, he was convicted. If he's guilty, he's certainly, I can't believe anybody could be convicted of murder and only have to spend seven years in jail. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Like people who get caught with like pot Marijuana. went yeah. to like jail for 20 years. Stupid. So I, I'm not exactly sure how that all works and I find it frustrating. But that is my um, holiday tie-in crime to Scrooged. Scrooge Ed. And um, yeah. Well, I love it. Thank you, Avrin, for telling that story. And you guys. We love you so much. So much. Thank you so much for listening. And for supporting us. Yes. And um, the rom criminals are our favorite criminals. Yes, that's right. <laughs> we don't we... like any other kind. Nope. <laughs> no. Just the rom ones. Rom criminals. Rom you guys, criminals. we will talk to you next week. Have a rom lovely, crime. hopefully restful, peaceful holiday. Mwah. Mwah, mwah. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Rom Crime. If you did like it, please rate, review, and subscribe, all those good things, and share it with a friend who you think might be into the rom-com true crime genre that we're dipping our toes into. Follow us on all social platforms at Rom Crime. We'll see you next week with another Rom Crime with Avern and Vanya. Produced, directed, edited, and researched by us. Till next week.